If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Welcome back to The Dialogue with Diwa De Boer on Reality Check Radio. You can text us on 2057 or email your thoughts on the show to inbox at realitycheck.radio. I'm joined this morning by Isaac Young, who is an author based in the United States. He's self-published one science fiction book, The Matryoshka Divide, which you can find on Amazon. He's working on several other books, drafts of which are serialized on his Substack account as he writes them. He's also known for his thought-provoking analysis of art and culture on Twitter, especially critiquing modern writing and why so much of it lacks soul. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Thank you for having me on. So could you tell us a little bit more about your first book, what drove you to actually write a book? I believe you're fairly young, and of all of the careers you could have chosen, why did you choose writing books? And I, I've always wanted to be a writer. I loved reading ever since I was young. I was known as the kid who sat in the corner and read all day back in uh, middle and high school. So writing always seemed just a natural progression of that. I always wanted to be an author. As for my first book, I'm a particular fan of Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. And I wanted to write a sort of Catholic response to uh, some of the themes in that book. Isaac Asimov is a rationalist atheist, and I wanted to do a Catholic take on his ideas. And you've got several other projects in progress as well. I think Giga Heroes and the Domes of Calrathia. Uh, could you describe those briefly as well, and perhaps even some motivation behind starting those? So I'll start with Giga Heroes because it's the uh, simpler project to explain. So my, my impetus behind Giga Heroes came from an exhaustion with modern media's obsession with superhero movies. Marvel is still trudging on after 20 years, and it's just getting more and more tired. And the superhero genre itself has been hollowed out quite a bit by deconstructionist stories. Everyone's doing evil Superman, evil Batman, evil Justice League. And Giga Heroes was meant to be sort of anti-commentary on deconstructionism. I wanted to, I'm, I'm coining a phrase, reconstruction. Uh, I wanted to start out with a dystopia with deeply flawed characters and move them to a better place instead of doing a cynical takedown, as so many other uh, stories are doing nowadays. That seems to be a very common trend in all kinds of entertainment and media where you have characters and maybe they try and get people to like the characters and then the characters do all kinds of bad things and they try to destroy those characters. And that seems to be the, the modern trend, unfortunately. Uh, Domes of Calrathia is my second project. It's situated within the dying earth genre, which uses a blend of fantasy and science fiction elements to explore themes of collapse and uh, post-apocalyptic conditions. It's it, high fantasy and Lord of the Rings-esque kind of way. It's situated on a far-off land with strange characters and strange races and peoples. 
it's a lot more speculative than Giga Heroes. And what I wanted to do with that narrative was sort of explore heroism and how it can be found in in a civilization that's long since collapsed. And what uh, is it about science fiction that draws you to it? And, and in some sense, the fantasy elements as well. Why write a story about a world that doesn't exist and instead of writing, say, about real people in the real world, what can we as readers and in your case as a writer, what is the important thing you're trying to communicate? Well, I think in speculative fiction, while they may be about distant lands and far off peoples, they still tackle themes and ideas that are still very relevant to our day-to-day lives. And I'm particularly a fan of Tolkien's view of escapism, in which you're basically um, escaping modernity into this wonderful tale, and then you're coming back with something that can enrich your life and help you fight back against all these awful forces that are uh, tearing apart society today. I like that take. I think we get a lot of media that's purely about, or even art that's purely about, say, consumption, just be entertained and there's nothing deeper to it, nothing meaning, more meaningful to it. And often as well, this is derided from a from a, a religious perspective to say, oh, well, you're wasting your time with fiction when really you should be focused on the real world. But also we can actually communicate a lot of transcendental ideas, uh, truths that help us in the real world. And that's a really great thing. You also do a lot of critique on modern writing. I saw a recent one that you did on a Hollywood movie called Starship Troopers that was based on on a book written much earlier. Then the book was a serious book, right, about a, a sort of a future military culture that was conquering the universe. And the movie that was made was basically a satire a parody of the original book made by a leftist who thought the story was too right-wing and he was going to make fun of it. And I'll read out a little bit of, of what you wrote here on Twitter. I quote, Why the first Starship Troopers movie failed as a parody? Watching the movie, it was clear the director was aiming for a campy, over-the-top depiction of the Terran Federation, perhaps not an outright mockery, but certainly a drastic departure from the serious novel. First, let's tackle a writing pitfall that irks leftists to this day. If you make the characters naturally handsome, fit, and well-groomed, then it becomes increasingly difficult to properly mock them. Beauty is self-evident, and all the characters in Starship Troopers are good-looking. This extends to the overall Terran Federation as well. We see clean, beautiful streets. Life seems good for Rico and his polite high school. This is a far cry from the crime-ridden and drug-addicted cities we know today, where are the homeless encampments, the ghettos, and so on. And later on, you write, all right, what about a critique of comparison? Perhaps the enemies of the Terran Federation have a better system. Oh, wait, no, they're bugs. I've seen people genuinely argue that the bugs are supposed to be sympathetic, but they're still bugs. This is not a face I can relate to, sympathize for, or even have a dialogue with. The screams at me to kill it with fire. Even if I didn't want to kill this thing, I would want to be in orbit far away from this creature. It's horrific, and only a contrarian can argue against that. And end quote there. The, that last bit especially went very viral on Twitter. I think millions, millions and millions of impressions, thousands of angry tweets. So 
what was the reaction from people who disagreed with you? Well, the, the funniest reaction was all the people who came in and openly sided with the bugs. <laughs> that was the part I was not expecting. Like I, I got thousands of quote tweets saying, oh yeah, we're going to have a beer with the bugs. We're going to join up with the bugs. The bugs seem nice. Even though in the movie, the bugs tear into a man's skull and eat his brains out. Yeah, so what? it's, it's strange, I guess, especially in contemporary politics as well. The bugs are controversial. You've got the, the evil Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, people who want to make people eat bugs. And there's, there's very much a, very much a strange left-wing support for bugs, that bugs are good for us and we're going to have a symbiotic relationship with the bugs. Is, is that a new thing? Or I mean, I don't, did the creators, do you think the, the director genuinely thought people would sympathize with the bugs or in, in his movie? Like, it seems very strange. The best take I heard about the director's intentions with the bugs was they're supposed to be a metaphor for dehumanization. The problem is the director went so far in that metaphor that the bugs are completely unsympathetic whatsoever. And just a regular person watching this would just come away with, oh, hey, the bugs are bad, kill all the bugs. And the, the metaphor is, in my mind, part of why Starship Troopers fails as a parody is that you look at the movie, you know it's supposed to be a satire, but everything is played so unironically that you can't help but support the Terran Federation. Mm-hmm. And the... And- Troopers. And the original book then, I haven't read any of it, so I'm not sure the context, but I know that you have because you said you had read the book. So is the author of the original uh, of the book, he, he himself is making a very serious point about this military-driven society that he thinks will work? I don't know if he specifically thinks it'll work because I've heard takes that Heinlein was just exploring various political philosophies and in flushing them in his novels. I've read part of Stranger in a Strange Land, which espouses, at least in my mind, a very different philosophy than what Starship Troopers did. I don't know the specifics of Heinlein's personal beliefs, but I I do know from what I've read of Starship Troopers, the novel, it's all played very seriously. It's, It's not a satire in the slightest. This is a commentary on political discourse, well, political, military discourse, uh, with some economic theory thrown in as well. Yeah, so, and, and this is going back to, I guess, why people write science fiction, is that you have an, an author who's trying to explore political ideas, ideas about the military, ideas about economics, and he's weaving them into a story, creating a hypothetical society where all of these things, you know, these ideas are basically only only the those who have served in the military can be citizens and and vote and uh, democracy is is only determined by those who have actually put their lives on the line for the system itself and without having to actually create the society he can write a book about it and basically say hey this could be something interesting that people could glean something from and it seems that he did such a good job that even the people who tried to mock it ended up just creating something that people say, oh, wow, this is so cool. It looks it looks really nice. I enjoy it. Even if the supposed subtext that Hollywood was trying to put into it was to make people think it should have been bad. Yeah, I, I definitely think the director of Starship Troopers, I cannot pronounce his name for the life of me, Avir Hoven. I, but, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's fine. I think, I think he just, he made a very clunky satire that you need 
you sort of need to have that meta commentary uh, narrative put over the movie in order to really get its message on a visceral level. <laughs> Does uh, this work play a little bit into modern conceptions on the internet where the this phrase the left can't meme comes up because when you know a meme needs to be something that's really snappy somebody looks at it and gets what the message is that's being conveyed and you often look at these memes that some of these uh, socialists construct and it's just like paragraphs of text that you have to read and none of it draws you in in any way at all yeah that's uh the reason behind that is that their worldview is so artificial and constructed that they need to bombard you with these essays in order to get their point across because it's just so divorced from reality. They didn't. Need, they need to be making arguments on arguments to get to their conclusions. Whereas someone on the right can look at some phenomena, make a short sentence observation, and move on. We referred a little bit to the sort of the corruption of entertainment and art in, in Hollywood. Is this something that you've seen as being a long-term strategy, deliberate corruption? And is there any way that people fight back against it? Because I've noticed an increasing number of complaints. Now, I've checked out a long time ago, but I see an increasing number of complaints of people who see all of this art that's being produced, all of the entertainment that they're being bombarded with is increasingly degenerate and corrupting, no good morals in it whatsoever. And if you look back further, if you look back in, over the last hundred years, it really has been, the seeds of it have been there since the beginning and just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I'd say wokeness is not a new phenomenon. It was right there from the beginning, but back in the early days, at least, I mean, even if we turn back the clock to something like the 1980s and 90s, but what this was back then was the ideas of classical liberalism when people still believed in those ideals. Like if you look yeah. at something like Star Trek, for example, you have all the egalitarian, rationalist worldview that's very organic. It's in dialogue. It's making self-critiques of itself, and it comes off as, I wouldn't say deep, but I would say something that you could believe in. And unfortunately, as those ideals became transparently fake, what we got instead now is wokeness, where they just sort of treat you with a narcissistic smugness, because that's all they got. They can't engage in any dialogue, because you could point out all the flaws in their reasoning and arguments, how their ideals are not manifesting in any way across reality. And they literally have to shut down all conversation in order to keep their uh, pretension of legitimacy. Mm -hmm. A critique that I had heard of Star Trek is that basically the universe in which the characters live cannot actually produce the characters who are portrayed. The outstanding moral nature, the hard work they put in, in in a universe where effectively it's post-scarcity, where people don't have to work, where people don't have to believe in religion, there's absolutely no reason why anyone would ever want to serve in a federation, sort of voluntarily work really hard, be part of a hierarchy and be part of a disciplined unit of people exploring the galaxy when you don't actually need to do anything or believe in anything because the universe doesn't require you to do that. Yeah, I, Picard is an aristocrat in an egalitarian society, and it just doesn't make any sense. 
Right. So the aristocrat can only be produced from society that came before it. And, but, but yeah, and it becomes a bit of an oxymoron. We sort of see that actually today where we do still have these leftover aristocracies in some places in, in the Western world. And not, not in America where you live, but say the United Kingdom is a good example where they have the House of Lords and they have these aristocrats and these monarchs. But increasingly the world today is not capable of producing people like that. And so you see very rapidly the decay. You see the people themselves asking, why do we have these aristocrats? You know, what are they for? They're just a, a relic of the past because society can no longer produce them. In all societies, you need great and capable men to lead them. And when you don't have that, you have a society that's essentially crumbling because people can no longer maintain the systems needed to keep society functioning. What do you see as the place and future of art and entertainment on the right? How do you challenge this system, this corrupt, degenerate system that's producing all the art and entertainment? And how do you come up with something better we, so we can look back at the past and say oh there used to be great art made there used to, you know great writings wholesome entertainment that people could actually enjoy and that families could take inspiration from if all that's gone how do you build it back up from scratch i mean it, it's sort of the question everyone's trying to answer is how do we go about creating parallel institutions and there's a lot of great people working on this problem right now on twitter and other places but the short answer and the difficult answer is you're just going to have to create your own entertainment. Uh, you have to be creating, you have to be writing your own books. You have to be filming your own movies, even though that's especially difficult. You have to be painting your own art. And you have to, the, the key thing that we're trying to build right now is uh, social groups where, you know, you have an indie author who's written a book. Now he needs people to read it. And that's the critical step that we're still trying to figure out is trying to spread these new indie creations to an audience to support them. Mm -hmm. And you're actually a good example of this because I was following a different commentator on uh, YouTube and Twitter and so on, Dave Green, known as a distributist. Hopefully at, at some stage I'll interview him as well. But he talks about politics, commentary, current events, and I saw him retweet one of your works, in fact, your, your, your book that you had published, The Matryoshka Divide. And I thought, oh, this looks interesting. If someone is recommending this book, I don't know who this guy is. Don't know Isaac Young, never heard of that name. But I'm going to go and click on it and I'm going to read the book because someone else has recommended it. And uh, I bought the book and I read through it and I was very impressed. I, I was like, wow, someone who's young, first time writing a book, doesn't have any professional help, basically. And the book is really coherent and I really enjoyed the characters, really enjoyed the story. The worlds were expansive. You know, you've, you've, you have these characters who have real, who are really driven by something they want to achieve and they're trapped in this system that they want to try and escape out of. And the system's rigged against them and it's, it's, it's just wonderful to see them struggle against it and some of them overcome it in some ways and others find different meaning in their lives. You just beautiful science fiction story that we need more of. And like you say, the hard part is discovering them. How do we share them around? So being able to do an interview like this on reality check radio and introduce, you know, possibly, and I'm sure that we have listeners here who are interested in science fiction, they might go and check out your book. And so hopefully we can sort of spread the work that good independent authors like yourself are doing. Thank you. You mentioned a little bit about things that are difficult to do in terms of 
creating entertain you know creating forms of art or entertainment especially more complicated things like whether it's film or even drawing you and obviously we have artificial intelligence tools now ai so do you see this as, as helpful or harmful in the long run for the right wing so i know that there are several people especially andrew torba from gab who is basically touting his ai tools as you know something that's going to transform the way that uh, right wingers can create their own content they don't need these big systems they don't need big funds they can use ai tools and create their own forms of entertainment whatever they want I think this, the jury is still out on how AI is going to uh, change the landscape for good or for ill. I'm going to withhold my opinion on whether or not it's a long-term good thing or bad thing, because I just, I don't know how far the technologies can pro- progress. I've heard things saying that we've already sort of reached the limit of what AI can do. I don't know if that's true or not. But if, if it stays as it is, uh, I see it as being just a supplementary thing that, for example, I use a lot of AI art to supplement my writing. With each chapter on Giga Heroes or the Domes of Calrathia, I generate an AI piece just to help with the reader's imagination for advertising, to give something a little bit more concrete for people to visualize for the book. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the future is going to hold for AI art. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is something that's already very useful to you because getting someone to draw something for every chapter that you write, that could be insanely expensive. Right? That's cost prohibitive for you. But if you can generate it, then it really helps. And there's, there are plenty of useful AI tools. Like in my own work, I use AI quite a bit, but it's not for anything related to trying to create unique things. Right? It's, it's largely using the algorithms to rearrange information that's already out there have you got any further comments on the latest ai products so google released gemini last week and it was universally derided mocked because the whole thing was deliberately designed i was just about to use the term broken but it's not it's not broken it's it's deliberately designed everything it does is completely functional to be effectively anti-white and to inject diversity into everything it would create images of uh, you know you said you'd ask for historical images of english kings and it would just give you pictures of you know anything but a white man who was an actual king of england and and its text generation does something similar do you see that these basically these products will continue to get worse in terms of how they are controlled and and, an attempt to restrict people from using them in a good way. Yeah, I was, uh, I was skirting around that discourse for a while on Twitter. I didn't comment on it, but I definitely saw a lot of people who were rightfully mocking it. It's this tension that tech companies are continually lobotomizing their own AI products. And this, this is partly why I say I don't know what the future of AI holds, because if they continue lobotomizing their products, then AI is not going to be a, a, a very useful tool to anyone. Regarding Gemini, I think it's what happened with that AI platform was the mask came off at Google to show all their woke biases for what they are in a very a embarrassing way for the company. I think that's why it was uh, particularly talked about. Because it, we can beat around the bush about what diversity means all day. But what, what it really comes down to is anti-whiteness. 
and white hatred. And it, it's so obvious with Gemini that that's exactly what they're doing. And the subjectivism that they've injected into it as well is remarkable. It won't even, say, condemn Adolf Hitler over anyone else. If you try and compare yourself or any other figure and say, hey, which one is worse? It won't, it doesn't even want to do that. It's reached a, a it's, it's been deliberately designed with that level of moral relativism that it's not willing to say whether one thing is better than another. And that's, that seems to be a very destructive part of the, the woke or the diversity agenda is a, a complete stripping away of morality other than trying to create subjective comparisons of who may be better or worse than anyone else. And the whole thing boggles my mind. Well, the woke do actually have a moral structure. It's anything that's against them is immoral. That's the, uh, that's, it's, it's yeah. all into power, really. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a collection of the margins of the fringes. And if you're part of the margin or the fringes, then, then you're good. And if you're, not, if you're not marginal, you're not fringe, then you're bad. And, and that obviously creates uh, just the, the most bizarre results you could possibly think of when all of these, because if you're talking to somebody in real life, you wouldn't realize just how bad this is because they might fake it. They might resort to just talking normally. But as soon as you program this into an artificial intelligence, as soon as you program this into a, a pattern recognition machine, it becomes incredibly obvious as to how their belief system is really structured. And then you think about the fact that Google is injecting this into everything. So if you're trying to do Google search, you're trying to you know use the YouTube algorithm, you're trying to find content, that's what it's injecting into the results that you're getting. And you can tell, obviously, it's going to be suppressing anything that would be useful and good. And this will be incredibly difficult for indie authors like yourself, people who are trying to create content that's based in reality, content that's based in morality and, and Christianity. It's a very active suppression that's going on. And the deck here is basically stacked against you. Yeah, it's, it's sort of where the underdogs Thankfully, there's been uh, ever since Elon Musk bought Twitter, there's been a um, there's been a little bit more freedom in what he can say and do than previously. Were you active much on social media before Elon Musk bought Twitter? Like, how would you describe your experience in living in the digital wasteland? You know, before and after the the, the great liberation that Elon Musk brought to Twitter. I actually I arrived right before Elon Musk bought Twitter. I joined the platform, I think in 2022, maybe, actually, let me, let me check. Yeah, I joined January 2022. So I didn't actually see Twitter as it was during the worst years. And I wasn't big enough to catch the uh, attention of any of their bots or, uh, well, <laughs> I wasn't big enough to warrant sniping. But I, I do hear, I did hear horror stories about comments being deleted about accounts being shut down maliciously so uh, judging from what other people have said uh, it's it's definitely a lot better than it previously once was mm -hmm. and sometimes we, we speak about the social ills of social media how it's bad for our lives but how would you be able to get the word out without social media is your your work as an author, finding your audience, getting feedback from people, would any of that be possible without social media or, yeah? It would be possible. It's just, it would be incredibly difficult to do so. 
because a lot of uh, in real life communities have just been dissolved or um, otherwise shut down, especially uh, after the COVID lockdowns. You saw a lot of social bonds just being irreparably destroyed. If I didn't have social media, my next best place to market would be my church community. But again, it's still small and it would would just be inordinately difficult to try to get the word out without social media. It's unfortunately it, Twitter might be a hellscape, but it's unfortunately a very necessary hellscape until we can create something better. Well, thank you very much for joining me this morning. And to the listeners, please do send us your thoughts on what we've discussed. And have you got any final thoughts yourself before we wrap up? And you can also remind people how they could easily find your work. Yeah, you can find my work on my Substack, Transhor Publishing. T R A N T O R. It's a reference to. Uh, a, a, it's another reference to the Foundation trilogy. As for final comments, I would say I'm I'm very excited to see what the indie scene is going to produce in the next few years. We've taken a huge steps. I'm a particular fan of Passage Prize. Have you heard of it? I have. In fact, I should have asked you, maybe now's a good time, because the, it's a collection of short stories that they've published recently, right? And you're, you're one of those called After the Collapse. Uh, yeah, that's, um, so there's, there's two things. There's Passage Press, which is their publishing house. Yeah, and I was part of the After the War anthology, which was a collection of short stories examining future states of America. If we win, if the woke wins, or just a number of other scenarios, A passage prize, it's the last, it's going to be the last contest. So I recommend submitting now. It's a magazine that's basically a collection of short stories, nonfiction articles, artwork, and it's meant to be a a sort of showcase for everything that's on the, that's being produced in reactionary circles. (laughs) And you use this term, reactionary circles, I guess, talking about the indie scene. We're talking very specifically about, I guess, politically aligned with sort of right-wing politics, sometimes referred to as dissident right or neo-reactionary. Have you got a very quick summary for the audience of what that might <laughs> what that might be? I know asking for a quick summary is hard since most videos about neo-reactionary theory are like three hours long. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take a stab at it. Well I mean the, the difficulty is is that there's no there's no one phrase to describe this weird coalition that we find ourselves in reactionary in common parlance just means anyone who is dissatisfied with the woke. And that can take a number of forms. It can be a religious a person, a Catholic or a neo-pagan or some other variants. He can be an atheist and be critiquing the social collapse. It, it literally just means whoever is dissatisfied with the current status quo. Unfortunately, um, that is what it is. Yeah, I'm. That, that's a that's a good enough like one line explanation. I like it. I'll try and get some of the other people from these neo reactionary or dissident right circles on in, on the show in the future, and I'll get them to ex- explain the political side of things. <laughs> um, Everyone's going to give you their own take, but <laughs> yeah, they they will. But it's great to hear from you as someone who's trying to create art, trying to create culture in these political circles. And it's just great because sometimes it is something you hear from 
left-wing people who control basically all of the modern art, all of the main institutions, right? You try and go to like museums, you try and go to art galleries, you try and go to these book fairs that have uh, you know, book prizes that, that are funded by the government or large institutions, and all of it is left-wing. And so art is left-wing. You know, there's no right-wing art. The left-wing it, it has some kind of inherent control over art. And that's clearly not true, obviously, uh, from uh, looking at history. But in the modern world, it's clear they control the commanding heights of the artistic world. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame that they do. I do wish there was... I mean, there are, there are certain film studios which are, I guess, more right-leaning. They're certainly... They're, they're doing something over at the, uh, the Daily Wire with their um, indie movie production. But it's just a shame that there aren't more out there because especially television and movies, that's sort of the how you connect into cultural discourse for America and the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's everywhere in the, in the West, for better or for worse. You know, we can say television, movies, TV series, it's all bad. But that is the normal, the normal cultural discourse that takes place there, the, what people absorb, the, the morals, the, the themes the things they talk about, all of it is absorbed through these particular mediums. And uh, yeah, we don't really have a way to just like destroy that, but we hopefully have some ability to start creating alternatives. Yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you very much. And just to remind people, Isaac's Substack, uh, you can just go to isaacyoung.substack.com or you can look for his book on Amazon, The Matryoshka Divide, and like I said, he basically publishes everything for free first. You can read early drafts of all of his work. It's a wonderful way to actually get people interested, I think, Isaac, because when I started reading your, your first little chapters, I thought, ah, maybe I'll wait till he's finished the book. And then I got curious and I read a couple of chapters and got hooked, you know, I was wait, waiting every couple of weeks for you to write the next chapter. So it's a great system. Uh, and hopefully uh, you do still make money out of this at some, in some way at the end of the day. Yeah, um, I do have some very generous people who uh, get paid subscriptions. For those people, I offer a monthly exclusive short story voting privileges so they get to decide what content gets made first. Giga Heroes seems to be a bit more popular than Domes of Calrathia, so I've been working on Giga Heroes first and then uh, uh, chugging away at Domes in the background. And yeah, they, they are very, very generous. I am humbled by their support. They help me. Uh, grow the uh, platform and dedicate more time to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said earlier, the the culture is very much saturated with s- superhero stories. And so having your your take, uh, your little spin on the superheroes, you know, how would they really, how would society really react to having these superheroes that could basically just level entire cities? And how would that create a dystopian society? And then how would people actually break free of this and actually do heroic things. I can see why it's very appealing to people. All right. That really is it. Thank you for joining me, Isaac, and to all the listeners. We will be right back after this break. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.